Fair play and fair value. It's what playing at William Hill is all about. William Hill. It's who you play with. Gamble responsibly. Hello, this is international football commentator Derek Ray, and you're listening to the Ranks FC podcast. Hello, Rank Squad, and welcome to Ranks FC and our big Euro 2020 or 21, whatever you're calling it, preview episode. My name is Jack Collins, and I'm joined as ever by the Rank God, Mr. Sam Tai. Hello, my friend. Hello, mate. And of course, our transfer guru, Mr. Dean Jones. Hello, mate. Hello, mate. How's it going? You all right? Good, good, yeah. I mean, this is a little bit weird because obviously we saw each other yesterday, didn't we? And we, rec- we recorded a Patreon episode together, which was. Very nice. All sat around the table, but um, yeah, back to uh, back to Zoom today. But back to Corona days for today. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. exactly. <laughs> Look, this is it. We're starting to start to wean ourselves off the Zoom. We're starting schedule. to get there. We are. But, uh, We're going to get there, but not quite all the way there yet. No. Um, and there's a lot of content to do over the next couple of weeks. Sam, how are you holding up? Yeah, good, good. Oh, lads, you know what? I had a lovely day seeing you boys yesterday and uh, celebrated it uh, with, a, with a couple of pints. And I guess it had been a while, but the travelling, couple of drinks, I was in bed by 9.30. Mate, how tiring is it? It's oh, so tiring, isn't it? We did about four hours work, had a bit of food, couple of drinks, absolutely shattered. <laughs> absolutely shattered. I jet lag. I jet lag. <laughs> That's the, that's the hour and a half it takes you to get up into London. You've got a nosebleed. You're so, you're so far north. You didn't know what to do. How do we used to do this every day? They are. No, this no, is no, the changing it. nature of the world, boys. Um, well, it's, that week, it's, that, it's that working stamina we need to get back, isn't it? But uh, I promise you I was asleep by 9.30. <laughs> Lovely. Well, that's the changing nature of the world. We should probably talk about the changing nature of this podcast, both today and, of course, over the next couple of weeks. So we are going straight in this week. There's so much to discuss. We're going to do each group in depth. That There is no time for things we love. There is no time for a melon of the week. There is no time for a Jewish rankings. This is a straight one. We're going absolutely at it. Each group at a time we'll give you some big predictions we'll look through the end of the tournament who we think is going to come out on top golden boot etc etc so there's gonna be lots of that but also worth pointing out that over the next couple of weeks these episodes are going to slightly waver in day there is going to be a couple of thursday drops as opposed to wednesday drops on racks fc as we do our best to grapple with the tournament schedule um over the next couple of weeks um so just a heads up there that things are not necessarily going to be quite as linear as they usually are but we will return to regular programming at the end of the tournament and but without further ado we should probably get into this because there is actually a lot to discuss so we've split the groups up Uh, i'm going to be taking a and f Sam's going to be taking B and C, and Dean's going to be taking D and E. Uh, we'll probably roll, run through them in order. So get started with, with Group A, which is Italy, Switzerland, Turkey, and Wales. Um, now, I've decided that this is my favourite group at the Euros. Everyone's talking about Group F. Everyone's talking about the fact that Portugal and Germany and France are in the same group alongside Hungary. But I actually think this is the most nicely balanced of the four groups. I think that while Italy will be looked at as favourites, obviously, because of the nature of that squad and the nature of uh, of how they qualified, especially, uh, I think that Turkey are dark horses outside bets for this tournament as a whole. 
if I'm being perfectly honest. And I also think that Switzerland are at the end of a, a cycle, the end of a, of a six-year culmination of, of where they've got to. Obviously, Pekovic took over in, in 2014. They've worked their way up through tournaments. They've got this kind of generation there at the moment that you, you kind of look at and think, mm, is this the last shot for players like Chaka, for Fabian Scher, for... Ricardo Rodriguez, Seferovic, Shakiri, like, is this their kind of last shot at, at getting a tournament over the line, at getting into the knockouts, at, at kind of kicking over their own curse? So th- there's there's that kind of element too. And then the fourth are Wales, who, who remain a complete wild card because of the nature of their squad. The fact that there is such talent in this squad, in, in Gareth Bale and, and Aaron Ramsey, obviously, but there's also this kind of element of, of Dan James in there, of the likes of Ethan Ampadu coming through, of Joe Roden coming through, of Nico Williams coming through, whether that's going to be opportunities for, for Ben Cabango, for, for Chris Meppham, and how this kind of shapes out out front. You know, is Harry Wilson playing as that false nine that's happened for a couple of games now, or is it going to be the big man Kiefer Moore kind of stuck through the middle? And and I kind of think that Robert Page's Wales are a little bit of a they're a little bit of an unknown quality, not because he hasn't been in charge for a long time, but because they kind of started to deviate recently for them from the 4-2-3-1, which served them so beautifully through for qualification and, and how they got here. And they've kind of gone to this 3-4-3, which is starting to include Ben Davis as a left centre-back. It kind of brings Nico Williams into play as a left wing-back. And there's this element of Wales, which which is always, given what happened at the last tournament, can they go that far again? Probably not. Well, I don't think anybody's expecting Wales to, to come through and, and, and drop a masterclass and get to the semi-finals again. But I do think that Wales will fancy themselves to get out of this group. And that means that there's a lot up for grabs here. Um, and so it's all, it's all a bit up in the air, really, Group A. Wales are going to struggle to repeat last year just because, you know, Hal Robson Carney wasn't the same player. Is that it? Is that the nature of your analysis on Wales? It's going to be tough without him. Yeah, it's well, very difficult. Yeah. Literally, he's not in the squad, is he? No. Um, there are no goals in this team. They're just no goals. Like they got Bale, and they got they're, they're relying so heavily on Bale and Ramsey, two of the most injury-prone players in the world of football. Um, it's it's not a good place to be in. Um, they're not a terrible team. They're quite disciplined. Um, I watched their game against France, and they were really unlucky in that they had a player sent off. Ridiculous. It was a handball, but we literally couldn't do anything about it. It was like fired at him from a yard away. Um, so that was ridiculous. And, and actually, they, they they put in a decent performance in the circumstances. But I just I just can't see any goals in the team. I really can't. I understand. Well, Bale is there. Bale yeah, is there. And there also, I like I like Dan James running into space. I feel like Wales are going to get to play on the counter here. And, and that suits Dan James. And Dan James running into space can be can be a real problem. Uh, it's, I mean, it's look, the, scored, the first goal that they scored was exceptional, right? In that game. And, and you look at it and you look at, you say that, Dean, and I do appreciate w- what you're getting at, but I, I do think you're looking at the likes of Harry Wilson. You're looking at Tyler Roberts. Then obviously Ramsey and Bale are the, are the big guns there, but there are Harry places. Wilson and Tyler Roberts. This isn't the championship, David, mate. David Brooks this is the European championship. David Brooks, Dan James. Like these are, these are players who I think are, are capable at this level. And I think mm. that Wales will bring a couple of surprises here. Uh, At the other end, by the way, they haven't got a good goal. Have they got any good? Have they well, got they, a good have, goalkeeper? they have. They have a. They are one of the teams that we'll discuss with a goalkeeping dilemma. Uh, in the do they play Ward or do they play Hennessy? Because they continue to just rotate between the two. I think Ward will get the nod. Well, he made a really good save from Benzema's penalty, so maybe that's given him the edge. But the edge in it. I mean, neither of them are filling me with confidence. 
Okay. Well, I want to talk about Turkey um, because we talked about Italy at length in, in, in on Friday's podcast, but I'm going to come back to them as a kind of last port of call here. But I really like this Turkey side. But Sam, I know that over the course of qualification and we, we've seen a Turkey side with a back line, everyone kind of assumes that the back line will be Sönchu and Demiral, right? But actually over Demiral's last 18 months, he's, he's really struggled with injuries and Erzan Kabak, has not set the world on fire for Liverpool or anything, but he has been very, very good when he's been called on for the Turkish national team. And he's played really well there over the course of qualification, which means that they have a bit of a selection dilemma here. Yeah, I, th- I think picking the best player available strategy would see Demiral and Soyuncu in a heartbeat, but you can't you can't sniff at the partnership and the chemistry that uh, that Kabak and Soyuncu formed. And yeah, I keep saying it, don't I? But I do. I truly believe in it. This centre-back partnership and chemistry is is hugely important, and it's something you don't want to mess with. Now, I want to reiterate that Demiral is the best of the lot when he's fit and firing and when he's sharp. But he just hasn't played that much football. He is a massive leader of the team as well, which is important. But so is Soyuncu. He's cap. He's a captain material for Turkey. So even dropping Demiral there, it wouldn't mean that you are lacking in that leadership and that veteran department because Soyuncu steps into that role really, really nicely. So I don't envy the manager, Şenol Güneş here. He has a couple of tough decisions to make. One is here and then one is at left back where he also has something well, that, that's a very different decision. Um, I think the thing at centre-back is it's, it's a nice problem to have, a nice headache to have in some ways because you have three options, maybe four options, to be perfectly honest with you, that, that all you know could step into this role and, and be very comfortable there. Um, whereas at left-back, the options are Uma Meras uh, or the other Yilmaz, who is 20 and at Besiktas and looks a real talent, but is has two caps for the national team. And... And I think they've got a big problem here at left back because they're going to have Gareth Bale or Fede Chiesa running at them. And that's not ideal if you're, you know, first choice left back, Umut Meras plays for La Havre in Ligue 2. And your second choice left back is a 20 year old who's untested at this level. That's a worry. Right. It's going to be, it's a problem in the group. And if they get out of the group, it becomes an even bigger problem in the knockouts. It's just a problem full stop. Of all of the teams that we're going to discuss throughout here and at the end, when we come to picking our favourites and our contenders for the throne, all the teams we discuss are going to have exceptional options in the wide areas and the wide forward areas because the best teams have incredible sevens and elevens and nines and eights. Like it's just, it's, if you don't have a good left back, if you don't have faith in your left back, you are going to be, you're going to be under so much pressure the moment you you meet an even remotely decent team. If we're worried about them against Wales, uh, I'd even Gareth be worried. Bale, about, hang on, <laughs> I'd even be worried about them against you know a, a fit and sharp Shakiri. So like this is this is a genuine weakness, and this is why you sort of end up looking at Turkey as like a could they rather than should they. Yeah, that is it. That is the the big one. I mean, on the other side, obviously, Chelek's been exceptional for Lille this season, mm. um, and and you look at this midfield duo, which works beautifully in tandem. Obviously, okay, Yakuslu is been on loan at West Brom from, from Santa Vigo. I think that's made permanent now. That's um, quite good. And he's been he's been excellent at the base. He sits at the base of his pivot. Next to him, Erzan Tufan is an absolute dynamo. He is brilliant. He absolutely barrels around the pitch. He, his energy levels are through the roof. He, he And he just provides all of the kind of energy in the middle there. And then, you know, you go to this front three and, well, front four, I should say. Charles Hanoglu, I think, will play off the left um, with Izichi through the middle kind of linking back up with Burak Yilmaz in the way that he does for Lille. Um, and then on the right, I think it's Karaman that's going to start ahead of Under, given the season that Cengiz Under has had uh, at Leicester. He scored, been he, scored a, he scored in a warm-up, but I think Karaman has the, the role 
right? I think he's, he's he's just very reliable, isn't he? Yeah. Very dependable out there. And and while Cheng is under an incredible talent, he's a little bit more mercurial. And and Shenel Gunes is is a manager who will look for experience and solidity. I think here, and 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 it's why we think Umat Meras will get the nod at left back, for example. Um, but also I think why Caraman will get the nod on the right wing. He's trying to stretch, try and stay wide um, and, and kick out there. So, so it comes down to Yilmaz, right? Who, who's fantastic. And he's had, a, you know, moved into Europe's top five leagues this year. He's taken Lille to a title. He has shouldered that Lille load uh, at so many times this season. And I'm really excited for him to take this step, you know, and, and to lead Turkey in these championships because he is the guy, even at, even at his vintage age. There's a nice X-factor feeling around Yilmaz right now. And even more so the fact that he does tend to respond to big occasions and play very well in big games. It's actually with Yilmaz, it's a case of can he get himself up for every single game? Because he's got no issue firing himself up and charging into that to- into that really important game and setting the setting the standard and setting the tone. It's it's when they play Switzerland that uh, I'd actually be worried that he doesn't quite hit his usual levels because mm. the bigger occasion that is, the better Yilmaz seems to get. So it's an interesting dynamic and he's like 35. Can he play every three days? Like what do Turkey have in response when they might need to give it, I don't know, like it, 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 as the, as the games tick on, I'd be very interested to see how they uh, address this scenario because the, the strikers they actually have in reserve, like NS Unal rubbish. Yeah. Well, the, the, obviously checked host and dropping out with injury is, is a big blow. He's rubbish you know? anyway. Well, yeah, less so, but okay. <laughs> um, the wild card is, is Derva Soglu, right? And he sort of stuttered and stumbled in his first couple of months. And then he scored, three in his last couple of games in the, at the end of the season, including some important ones as they tried to push, you know, towards the title. Um, obviously fell short, but he started to find his form right at the end of the season. And it's an interesting one. He, he obviously, he is a 26th man in a 26-man squad. He feels like their wild card. So I'd just be interested to see if he's the kind of player that gets absolutely no minutes and we don't see him for a second. <laughs> or he's used as the rotator because Burak Yilmaz can't play every minute I I don't think he he can I don't think he's got the the stamina at this point especially after a long hard season for Lille to do the whole way so um yeah, yeah. so yeah that's Turkey I mean quickly on Italy who are group favorites um and their group favorites are a reason they uh one group J in qualifying played 10 won 10 scored 37 goals and only conceded four in their world cup qualification so far they've played three won three scored six and conceded none um, Mancini has turned this team around so beautifully and they play such wonderful football. The, the days of Giampiero Ventura feel a long way off. You know, those dark days of not qualifying for Russia. Um, and this squad is stacked, stacked with talent, especially in midfield. Um, and there's rumours or more than rumours. There's quite a lot of speculation that the Verratti is going to miss the start of the tournament with, with an injury. And it's like, oh, doesn't matter. We'll play Locatelli. Oh, it doesn't matter. We'll play Pellegrini. Oh, it doesn't matter. We'll play Piscina, who's just come in for Sensi. It's like, you know, it doesn't matter who plays. But Italy played this beautiful 3-2-5 in, in possession. And the left back, whether that be Emerson Palmieri or Spinazzola, um, my heart wants it to be Spinazzola. My head tells me it's going to be Emerson. Um, will kind of play as a left winger. Chiesa will hug the touchline on the other side as the right winger. Barella will move from his centre midfield role inside on the kind of right forward role. And Insigne will drop off from the left wing and, and, and kind of tuck inside and to the right. They'll all play behind the mobile. There's five of them sort of getting into the box, getting in at people. And, and then from the base, Jorginho and normally Verratti, but in this case, I'm imagining Locatelli, are going to just sit and dictate. Florenzi tucks in as the right centre-back. And then it's Chiellini and Bonucci. And this, I suppose, is perhaps the only place you look at this and go, 
can this Italy side be got at, especially in transition? And because Chiellini and Benucci, brilliant as they are, and as brilliant as they have been for a long time, are not perhaps the players that they once were. They are slightly on the wane. And there's a massive case that Alessandro Bastoni should be the man starting in, in this tournament, I think. Yeah, I mean, look, Chiellini's the captain, isn't he? Uh, yeah, he is. Yeah, he's so, going to start. So like, and, and they and have a partnership, right? And yeah. you talked about this a bit. Yeah, so Chiellini uh, and Bonucci, you kind of you kind of have to go there. If you're going, if you're going Chiellini, you pretty much have to go Bonucci. Bastoni is the best centre back that Italy have, but he's the left sided, left footed centre back, and so is Chiellini, who's the captain. So it's a it's a bit of a mess. I, I personally think that on paper, Italy's second choice centre back partnership, which is Bastoni and Acerbi, is better than their first choice. Uh, but there are intangibles at play, uh, mental mental things at play where. You know, it's not necessarily played on paper, is it? So we'll have to see. But the whole back line scares me, to be honest with you, mate, on paper. I know it doesn't quite transpire in the way that you think it, it will, does, but yeah. anything with Emerson and Florenzi and Chiellini and the current version of Bonucci is is genuinely down there with like, um, you know, is a, is, a, is a bottom half defensive line in this tournament. Mm. Yeah, I mean, we'll see. And then, like you said, the intangibles at play are huge. I think yeah. you look at what they've got coming off the bench here, and you look at Pellegrini, you look at Bellotti, you look at Berardi, Pessina. There's a lot of players, you know, here who who can come on and make a difference. And I think that's that's important. I think this squad is deep, and Mancini will rotate for the first three games. Uh, I think he will try and keep everybody fresh on the whole, and also give minutes to people so that they can kick on if there is a problem or if there is injuries in the second half of this tournament and he needs to rely on players I think he will look to to really utilize this squad um but yeah on the whole I I think Italy win this group I think it's going to be very that very first game between them and Turkey the opening fixture is really sexy and I like it a lot like it's it's got a lot riding on it and it sets the pace for the whole tournament yeah I think it decides the group winner as well right yeah, definitely does. And look, there's a, definitely a chance that Italy could surprise everybody and win this tournament because I don't think there are that many people that consider them in that kind of bracket right now. Um, but they have the potential to be there. Just some of the combinations that they've got th- across the pitch when they've got their strongest 11 on the pitch is pretty frightening. Um, yeah, I, I, think they'll, I think they'll be good. I'm not saying they'll always be really exciting to watch, but I think they'll be a really good team. I think they will be exciting, genuinely. Yeah, they, they've definitely done a good job of reimagining themselves a little bit um, yeah. over the last couple of years. They're, definitely. They're, they're, they're definitely a sexier watch, and that is a great opening game. Should we do like group predictions as we go? If you if you want to predict me, the, the problem is that the third place playoff thing yeah. is a bit weird, right? So are you, are you can you can we do that at the end? Do you want to predict uh, the group winners and seconds, and then the four qualifiers, or do you just want to go with the first two? And we'll I think just the... pick the first two because right. the third place thing is a nonsense. I, I think Italy and Turkey get out of this group. Me too, yeah. in that order as well. Yeah, yeah. I Italy, think Italy Turkey. win all three games. They win the yeah. opener against Turkey in a in a very good game, and they go on and win the rest. I think it's. I do, I do think whoever comes third in this group is going to get out of it. That's there's a there's a prediction for you. Okay. I don't think I can't see it being one of those sort of low scoring. Mm. I think whoever whoever comes third in this group is going to get at least three points, probably four. And okay. that's a that's mm. a big one. That's mm. a big one. I think. That's a big call. Okay. All right. Should we go to Group B? We uh we should roll on. I'll do Group B because I was given it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you, you will. Because you, yeah, you, you should. All right. I'll, all right, I will then. Uh, group B: Belgium, Denmark, Finland, and Russia. Belgium, the obvious favourites here. Um, most bookies have got them at kind of like third favourite or something like that. And obviously, you take a look at that squad, you take a look at that eleven, you take a look at the players, and you start to get an immediate idea as to why you've got Lukaku, you've got De Bruyne. Even if he's only got one eye, he's still brilliant. 
Hazard, if he's fit and sharp, will be an absolute monster. I mean, the last international tournament this guy played, the World Cup, he was that was his, the best I've probably ever seen him play. He was absolutely sensational. Belgium are a funny team because they play 3-4-3 all the time, but they only play one actual wing-back. They like to play a winger on one side and a wing-back on the other. So they're very attacking. They don't necessarily protect their back three very, very well. That back three is getting a little bit older. You could argue that it does need a bit more protection, but this is Roberto Martinez we're talking about. He doesn't really believe in that. So if you see someone like Tom Amernier on the right wing-back slot and you see Yannick Carrasco on the left, expect to see a little bit of what Jack's been talking about with Italy, where it shifts to one side and the left side flies forward and the right side kind of anchors down a little bit as the formation shifts around. They've got a big question mark for Axel Witzel's fitness. They'd love him to play. They've called him up, but he's not played in such a long time. We'll have to see. There's every chance we see the Anderlecht duo of Tielemans and Dendonka playing at centre mid. That probably means De Bruyne is playing in the front three with Hazard. And seems weird, but like Dries Mertens therefore becomes a bit of a super sub. I mean, what an option to have, Christ. Um, but you always feel like someone of Merton's calibre should be should be in, in in the starting eleven. But it's it's a great squad with great competition and great quality. So that's the measure of it. Merton's is not guaranteed a spot. Then you've got Denmark. Got three home games, Denmark. These games are all being played in Copenhagen and St. Petersburg. So Denmark and Russia. So Belgium, the favourites, but don't play a single game in front of a non-hostile crowd or, or, or a partisan crowd. Denmark have got all three games at home and Bit of a funny one, Denmark, because they've had three managers in the last two years. Yeah, I was going to say, obviously, they, they basically extended their last manager's contract to the end of Euro 2020. And then when it ran out, when the original tournament was supposed to end, they just didn't renew it. And it was like, what? <laughs> yeah, and he'd done quite well. He had. Just he'd like, really, eh, really kind it. of, it, he'd, made, he'd made them very pragmatic, Denmark. Under the last manager, I thought. and Arga um, Harade, something Arga like that. Harade. Mate. Kielmann has come in and, and it, he has kind of reignited a bit more of the attacking flair. Um, but given that, I think that there is more of a chance that Denmark got a rule at sea. And that's a bit of a worry, despite the fact this is a very good back line. It's a very good team overall. I mean, diff- definitely we've seen Christian Eriksen come to life a bit more for Denmark, which has always been important for them. He's never really necessarily hit the heights that we've expected him to. Although I do wonder if that's sometimes down to the fact that for a long time, not necessarily now, but in the past, he's been the star attraction in midfield with no other player particularly close to his level. And when that happens, of course, opponents tend to key in on that player, don't they? And they tend to stop and and try to disrupt that specific player. And no one else around him maybe has been good enough to take advantage of that. I don't know, but... But Denmark can definitely call upon a great cast of centre-backs here. I mean, Joachim Andersen has had a fantastic season. Simon Simon Kerr has been brilliant for Milan. And then you've got like Andreas Christensen, who's just won a Champions League with Chelsea. Yannick Vestergaard, who has been very, very good for Southampton this season. I think Christensen and Vestergaard are on the outside looking in here. I mean, those two two centre-backs could play for Italy. (laughs) They improve them. But there you go. I mean, it's a great it's a great stock to call on. Um, Why did they bring five centre backs? I just looked at this. Matthias Jorgensen's there as well. Like, I don't know what's He's, going on. I don't, uh, who knows? I don't they know. are weak. They are weak at fullback, though. Like yes. Jurgen Mahler is is a good player and has been, you know, I think has, has really a good ex- player. I wouldn't ex- I wouldn't worry about him. But but Jens Strager Larsson on the other side worries me. Uh huh. 
Yes, I would. I would. I would say, yeah, fair enough on that one. They got they got big Casper in goal, not bad, and and the forward ammunition is is pretty decent. It's not outstanding, but you've got like Paulson and, and Brathwaite and, and other players like that. It's, I like it's, Jonas Wind. I think he might be the man that, that 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 makes a difference this tournament. He's one of my people to watch. Yeah, I haven't seen much of of Wind. Maybe you could tell me about more of him on Friday. I don't. Hey, know. on Friday when we do a players to watch at this tournament, he might be someone included. Who knows? Okay, well, we'll have to see. I'll look forward to it if it is. Russia in here. Russia have got some home games. Russia are a funny side. <laughs> I find them very strange to gauge. Very mm. difficult to gauge. That manager is under some pressure. I don't think yeah. Russia are necessarily playing up to their potential or what's expected of them. They've got some home games here. They're looking to build off a very, very good home World Cup in 2018. And they don't necessarily play up to what is perceived to be their level. Now, they've got some of our favourite players from the World Cup. They've got Golovin, goal-scoring midfielder. They've got big Artem Juba. Juba! And they've got Mario Fernandez, right wing-back. And there's a, there's a lot of fun to be had in this team. There is, if they click. I just never know what to make of them. I really do not. Mm-hmm. And I can't discern a particular style with Russia ever either. So I feel like they're always just walking into every game going, oh, what, what happens here? I don't know. Yeah, I know Jack said before that he thinks that's the tightest group or whatever in, in Group A and teams have got opportunity. I actually think this one could become open. I mean, especially as Denmark play Finland in the opening game. And you just think, well, if, Den- if Denmark get off to a winning start against Finland, they'll probably write off the Belgium game in between. But then there's that game against Russia as the last game in the group. And it could be that, Denmark and Russia are both playing that third game to basically go through automatically. Um, wouldn't surprise me at all if that's the case. And we'll have to see, as you say, what we're getting from Russia at the time because ahead, it's it's literally not worth predicting, is it? <laughs> we, we don't we don't know what we're going to be getting from Russia. I was surprised at how good they were at times in the, at the World Cup, and I'm still not sure if that's because it was in Russia. Maybe it was, but like you say, they're in Russia now, so if <laughs> we're going to get the same thing. Yeah, let's see. I mean, what we do know, if we can't agree on anything for Russia, uh, we probably can agree that Finland are the fourth worst team. Uh, the fourth worst team? The fourth best team in this group, and therefore the worst team in this group. Definitely on paper. Yeah. And they're the they're the proverbial whipping boys on paper. Now, yeah, I only found out the other day they were in it. This you know. is the analysis you get on Ranks FC. No, not, not the, when I say the other day, I'm I'm exaggerating, but it was only... A month ago that I realized that Finland were actually in the tournament. All right. I was like, that's quite cool. I'll give you a break here because qualifying was actually 10 years ago. Exactly. So you've forgotten the identity. I probably did know and forgot. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, it was a long, long time ago. Uh, But Finland, look, I mean, they're playing under zero pressure. They've already achieved their dream of qualifying for this tournament. They're like, was it like population of like 5 million? Like there's there's, there's, there's nothing to it. It's, it's, It's... it's an achievement almost as big as Iceland qualifying for the last Euros. And that's the last time we'll mention them because of who they beat in the round of 16. The Finland have got some some players, that Glenn Kamara at Rangers, uh, they've got Timo Puki at, at Norwich, and they've got Lukas Radetzky, who's Bayer Leverkusen's starting goalkeeper. They've got a handful of at least Europa League players, and they happen to be down the spine of the team. A goalkeeper, an all-action central midfielder, and a striker. And when you have good players in those three positions, it just gives you that outside shot of doing something. And when a play, a game is played on the margins and played on the edge, it gives you that gives you the opportunity to to create an upset. And like Finland could decide who qualifies from this group by holding one of them to a draw or even yeah. beating them. They sure. they are they are the destiny makers. They're the wild group. card, aren't they? They're the kingmakers. Yeah, and... they, they 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 sow the destiny for the others. They, mm. 
I said they're not the wild card. I'd say the wild card could qualify. I don't yeah, think Fulham are going to get qualify. out of the group. But I'd say you're, I'd say you're right, Jack. They're the kingmakers. It's, it's whoever slips up against Finland because I reckon one of them will. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with you. I mean, look, it, without kind of writing it off too much, it, it's not huge. Like it wasn't very long ago that Finland went to France and stunned France. You know, went to it, France and got something. Well, they they won. They won two nil. You know, it was, that was November twenty twenty, and 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 it was it wasn't. You know, yes, it was a rotated France side, but it was still a side with you know, Paul Pogba and Mike Magnan in it. And you know, it was without being funny, it was also a rotated Finland side, and it was like <laughs> one of those strange ones where. Timu Puki didn't play because Marcus Force, I can't believe I mentioned two Brentford players on this podcast already, which, you know, here we are. Um, you know, he he was the kind of, you know, the guy that came on, scored the first goal. He is another sort of youngster who can kind of deputize. He can play off either wing. We've seen him do that this season for Brentford. Um, and, and he can play through the middle as well. He gives them that option, gives them that kind of pace and explosiveness off the bench. And, you know, he's a very, very good player. We spoke about him with Ali, right, earlier on in this in, in, in the mm. podcast this year. And we talked about him being someone that Dortmund were interested in. And there's a reason for that, right? There's a reason that he's a player that is, is on the radar of big clubs because he's a very, very talented youngster. Um, and, and I think there's a couple of those throughout this team scattered that, that do have the ability to, to, to make a difference. And, and I think you're right, Sam. I think that there is someone who's going to slip up against this Finland side. I couldn't tell you who it's going to be. And just to Dean's point about, you know, I think this is perhaps the most intricate race between second and third. I think that would be, be an argument mm. to, to say that, that Russia and Denmark are two of the most balanced sides in, in, in terms of picking, picking who's going to come second behind Belgium in this group. And I think you're absolutely spot on, Sam, with, with it being Finland, who could make the difference here. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm interested to see what, what the Russia versus Denmark game holds. Um, mm. Very, very interested. And then the Finnish ones, I think a lot of people will probably turn their nose up, nose up at a Finland game. But I think Finland are, yeah, they do. They, they control the destiny of this group. And I think their games are must watch as a result. So, uh, I mean, that's Group B. We're going to be uh, watching so, every game. So that's, that's well, easy. That's true. I will be watching every game. But I mean, that, that is Group B. Belgium, Denmark, Finland and Russia. We've got a newcomer. We've got a, uh, a favourite, a tournament favourite, hanging on to the, the the coattails of their golden generation. One last chance, no company, but still got De Bruyne, still got Hazard. We've got Denmark, who play no one but centre-backs. And we've got <laughs> Tamu team, team Puki's upset warriors, Finland. Very good. Who's getting out Very of it well. then, Salmon? Yeah, I reckon Belgium qualify. And? See, Russia are the real wild card here. I just... I'm a little bit cautious. I'm feeling a bit cautious over Denmark and I'm going to kind of gamble a little bit and say Russia. Um, I think Russia's the safe bit. I think Denmark's the gamble. I'm going to gamble I, on Denmark. Yeah. I, th I think Russia are the gamble. I think Denmark are better on paper. Interesting. Dean? I think Russia. Right. Fantastic. <laughs> Given the predictions at the end of the season, I'm going to take that as a huge victory. Uh, and you can, <laughs> you can lump on Denmark getting out of the group gang. Yeah. Um, right, let's go group C. Sam, it's still on you. Was it me again? Yeah, sorry. I mate. just went. Yeah, no, yeah, that's how the alphabet works. I should have picked a later group. Mm. I knew this was a mistake. All right, Group C. We can I'll skip it again. if you want. If it's no good, just skip the group. <laughs> well, funnily enough, Jack's talking about how he loves Group A. I'm a little bit in love with Group C. Um, group C is Netherlands, Ukraine, Austria, and North Macedonia. Now, these games are going to be played in Bucharest and Amsterdam. So it's Romania and the Netherlands. So there's only one team here who have any kind of home advantage, and it happens to be the on paper strongest team in the group by far, which you'd think probably rubber stamps progression for the Dutch. However, can I just remind you all of who is in charge of this team? Frank de Boer. It's Frank de Boer. 
Yes, they have three home games. Yes, they have the strongest squad. But we, we could be looking at anything here. Absolutely anything. This Dutch team felt so settled coming into this pre-tournament friendly period. They'd been playing a pretty consistent 4-2-3-1. They had a really nice midfield blend. They had Frankie with Darone and they had Wijnaldum as the 10. They had everything sorted. They felt really settled. And then in this friendly period, De Boer has gone, how about I try three at the back? Let's see what happens there. They've played a couple of games. They drew with Scotland and it was a nightmare game. They did win their second game, but level of opposition, not great. It was Georgia. So I don't know how much you're learning from it, but at least it's better than drawing with Scotland. Um, I think he wants to go to three at the back because he knows he's looking at Daley Blind, Stefan de Vrij and Matthijs de Ligt. And I think he's looking at those three players and thinking, these are actually some of my best players and I think I need to play all of them. And it's forced a change in shape that has hurt the wingbacks because the fullbacks have become wingbacks. That's, that's Dumfries and that's Vindal. Um, They didn't look themselves particularly in that game against Scotland. And it's changed the makeup of the team a little bit. It's also brought in a, a strike partnership. And again, I thought it was probably going to be Marlon off the left, Berkeley's off the right and Memphis up front in a 4-2-3-1. We're now looking at the very distinct possibility of Wout Weghorst partnering Memphis Depay up front in a big man, small man combo. <laughs> I mean, it would, make, it would make sense given that he's also called up Luke de Jong. Um, and very course, so he's actually got the two big men. It would suggest that he really is looking at this and going, I'm going to play two up front, and this is these are my rotators. So it'd be Marlon and one forward, and it'd be Memphis and the other. I can't, I can't lie. I don't like it, uh, but it is what it is. I'm not in control of the Dutch national side. Frank is, so we'll have to see how he gets on. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not wild on it either, but I do think it gives you the playmaking ability of Daily Blind out the black, and that's actually incredibly important because yeah. this side have really struggled to progress the ball. Um, it allows Vinaldum to basically play as a 10, um, which which has been good for him, obviously. And, and he, he's obviously far more prolific for the national team than he has been for club. He's asked to do two different roles. That's not a massive you know, diss on him. It's just a, it's just literally how he's, how he's asked to play for two separate things. I, the, the fullbacks wing back thing worries me. I'm, I'm not sure I'm hugely into Vinaldum or Dumfries playing as wing backs. Um, I think it just, I don't think they can, you know, get the same explosiveness. He says a lot about, you know, left backs who gallop forward, right? And, and, and Vindal's not necessarily that, but I think Dumfries is. Yeah. Um, you know, the, it, it allows them to, to really explode and get into gear and, and, and start to really that rumble along. Um, and I don't think you get that if you start further up the pitch. Um, which I think is, is, has been a criticism of, of wingbacks in the past. Um, now, I don't mind the big man, little man thing. I actually think that Veghorst is a better player than Luke de Jong. Um, that's not going to be a surprise for anybody that listens to this podcast regularly. Um, and and I, I don't mind Depay and, and Marlon as, as rotators. I'm just not completely convinced that this is the way I would go with it. No, me neither. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm with you on the, the fullback wingback issue. Um, Dumfries is a... Is a, is a is a powerful player and the way he pushes into space and, and pushes people aside when he's got that momentum is, is fantastic. I hope they can unlock that from him, from this formation. And Dal is, he's, he's more technical player. He's neater yeah. and he's tidier. He's better in tight spaces. He's very suited to left back. So yeah, we'll have to see, but look, they're not the only team in this group. We have a couple more as well. Um, we have Austria who on paper look decent enough, but in reality, have had big problems over the last four or five years under the weight of some some real some some I say expectation as people have got to know these names and realised what on paper strength Austria have. People have expected more and more of them. You know, you've got David Alaba for a start, who's one of the world's best players, and then Marcel Sabitzer has risen to the fore uh, for RB Leipzig. 
They've got Hinterreger at Eintracht Frankfurt. They've got Kalajdzic, who's emerged this year. They've got Stefan Leiner, who's Gladbach's right back. I mean, they've got a good team. Conrad or, Leimer. Con- Conrad Leimer. Uh, it's like it's a good team. Um, well, it, should, it should be better than it is. I don't. I don't think Austria are very good. No. One of the big problems is that they don't really know what they're doing with David Alaba. No, and I actually think he he might have to go to left back if this team are really going to actually fulfill their potential because they're they're so weak at fullback. Um, and the centre backs, while you know you've chucked that couple of names there, Hinteregger, Dragovic, there's some you know decent names in here. I I think they're going to struggle because they have no pace. Whereas Alaba yeah, kind of. Alaba does kind of release that by basically allowing them to play. Now, if he then goes flying up the pitch at left back, it won't help. But if he plays as part of that discipline line, I think you look at the middle as well. And, and you mentioned, obviously, Sabitzer there. The reason that this side are not getting out of the group uh, is because uh, Marcel Sabitzer wears number nine from centre midfield. Um, and, and, and that is borderline illegal as far as I'm concerned. Um, That's a crime, yes. But they do have genuine some real talent in the middle here. And I think that if... They, they probably have enough that, you know, with Grilich, with Sabitzer in there, that they don't probably need Alaba at centre midfield as much as they need him at fullback. And, and that would be my take on it. If, if, if Alaba plays fullback, this Austria side is probably better balanced. I massively agree with not needing him in centre mid. Obviously, Austria have been playing David Alaba at centre mid for a long, long time, for those of you that don't watch them, because he's their best player and they want him to be in the middle, in, involved in everything. And it's fair enough. Obviously, Alaba played plenty of centre mid at different points in his career. He's more than happy to play there. Um, but nowadays, Austria's centre midfield crop has caught up and Grilich is one you referenced there. They've also got Zava Schlager, who's yeah. at Wolfsburg, who's really good. And they've even got Baumgartner from Hoffenheim as well, who can play a role in there as well. So Alaba, they have started playing him off the left wing, mm. which yeah, also wasn't either. awesome. So at a certain point, they're going to get... Well, I don't know what they're going to do with him, but they're going to do their best to get him involved. The point is, over the last couple of years, they've done a lot of different things with Alaba, and they haven't really been able to get him to take hold of a game on, on really any of these occasions. And their manager, Franco Foda, is under immense pressure. Austria have the best team they've had in a long time, but they don't tend to do very well. And they haven't won a game at the Euros in decades. I think, yeah. it's not, I think it's 1990 since they've won a tournament game. Italian yeah, 90. You, between these four teams in this group, only one, there's only one team has won a game at the Euros in the last 10 years. <laughs> Literally. Ukra- Ukraine beat Sweden at Euro 2012. Apart from that, none of these teams have won a game in the Euros. <laughs> like, yeah. That, yeah. I mean, that even makes for a really exciting group with loads of goals. Or just four teams that don't know what they're doing. Well, the reason, the reason I'm excited about this this group is actually not the Netherlands and it's not Austria. It's, it's Ukraine. It's, it's the next two. Yeah. It's Ukraine and North Macedonia. Ukraine looked like a really nice outfit and they feel really different this time because, well, Yarmolenko made the squad, but he's not a key fixture in this side. Konoplyanka didn't make the squad. And when you see someone like Konoplyanka, who was, those two have defined Ukraine for the last decade for me. The wing wonders, they cut in, they shoot. They were every reason as to why Ukraine were a bitch to play against. Well, they were the post-Shevchenko era, weren't they? Yeah, in, yeah, exactly. And they are now being phased out or completely out. And in their place, we have new players to sing about. Ukraine feel and look really different. We have Viktor Siankov, who is cutting in off the right side and shooting with his left. Zinchenko, Champions League finalist and Premier League winner, often pushing into midfield and dictating because that's kind of where he plays everywhere else. Malinowski, who's one of the best long shooters in the world of football, playing from central midfield and just popping them off like he does for Atalanta. And Jack's favourite player of the week, 
Roman Yaramchuk. Yes. He's great. I just really like him. Um, and I think he's going to score a hatful in the group stages. Here's my take. Yeah, the Ghent gunman literally literally <laughs> burying them, if I'm honest, in, 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 in the group stages. I'm, I'm excited for him because, like, you know, he's, he's had his ups and downs. I think he got, you know, a serious injury, not this year, but the, the last campaign. Um, and, and he's been kicking around. He's he scored a lot of goals for Ghent at, at this stage. You know, he scored 20 and 34 this season. Uh, in Belgium. And I think he's ready to to step into that number nine role. Now, there isn't huge amount supporting him. Like you say, Shishankov is going to play off off that side and, and, and cut inside and try and add. And Malinowski is brilliant. I love. And he will play kind of, I think, as a kind of twin midfielder with Zinchenko in a, in a kind of 4-5-1. Yeah, with like Stepanenko behind them or something. Or absolutely. S- with, Sidorchuk. No, with Stepanenko sitting in the in six. Um, and, and I think they will be the two ahead of him. I, I just worry that if Yeremchuk doesn't fire, Ukraine won't set on fire. And that that worries me. But I, I do really like him. And I've I've got a hung I've got just this feeling that he's gonna top score in this group stage. And I either have another feeling that Ukraine are gonna win this group. I am not worried about them being so polarised with their goal threat. The, the players we talked about there, Yaramchuk, Siankov, Malinovsky, Zinchenko, I think they've got four legitimate goal threats in this team. And I think I think they'll find a goal here and there from whoever it is, even if Yaramchuk doesn't fire. What I think stands in their way, potentially, of qualifying from the group is the fact that I've got this feeling in my loins that North Macedonia are going to do a madness, right? I don't know what it... Obviously, much, much weaker side on paper than, than the other three. But they play to their strengths and they're also living the absolute dream life. They've got a three at the back system that allows Alioski of Leeds to just fling forward from left wing back. And they've given him a lot of responsibility. They've got Ennis Bardi, who is one of the best free kick takers in world football. So again, I talk a lot about how tournaments are about moments and Bardi can supply those. Elmas is a top scorer for them from midfield, pushing forward. And they've got the spirit of Goran Pandev guiding them through this whole expedition, Jack. How can you argue with that? Yeah, so I, he, made, he made his debut two decades ago. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, the thing about him was like, two decades? That's, uh, he's got to round it off by winning the tournament, surely. He, he was losing his hair when he won the treble in 2010. <laughs> yeah. He's still going. <laughs> he's still going. Looks younger now, actually. Dave, there's a couple of really like fun players here. I went to see North Macedonia before we, when we were, back when we were allowed to like go places and stuff. Um, I went to see them play Armenia in uh, in Skopje um, at the King Philip II Stadium. And, it's uh, niche. Great that time. is niche. An absolutely wonderful time. Uh, Pandev scored. Alioski scored. Everyone had a good time. They beat Armenia 2-0. Um, but the player that I really, really liked was Tchaikovsky, who wears number nine for them. Sort of plays as a wide forward slash number 10 slash number nine at times. Um, and he was excellent. And he's been really, really good in terms of how he's kind of progressed as well, I think. Um, you know, he's kind of moved along in his career and in the qualifiers in particular, I, I, I thought he, he did really well in the Nations League. He was he was electric. And, and yeah, he's just a player that I think might make a little name for himself this tournament. He's just very, very lively. He's very involved. And he's kind of at the heart of all the good things that, that North Macedonia do. So, so yeah, he's just one to, to kind of keep an eye on, I think. Well, they, mm. need, they need players... F- specifically from that number nine role to be to be involved and to be battling away because Pandev is not going to be able to play 90 minutes probably at any point, let alone every three days. So they need to have different options there. 
And they need players like him to to step in and, and to carry that load while the others can kind of flit about and do whatever they do. Sam, do you think they're going to become the team that everybody kind of latches onto potentially as like the the underdogs? Yeah, exactly. Because yeah. Like, I think everyone is just expecting. You look at the groups and you're like, okay, they lose three out of three. That's that. Like that's that's what nine out of ten people will be assuming that that's the case. Um, but if they win a game. They, they've got as soon as you win a game in this tournament because of the best third place you've got a chance of getting out the group yeah, yeah. They yeah, also, yeah. I'm, Sam, I'm with you one, one of the things that we haven't talked about is the fact that you, you mentioned Alioski playing off that like, kind of left wing back role um, but you didn't mention who's on the other side and it's Stefan Rostovsky Rostovsky yeah who obviously had many years at sporting he was so quick he, he, he's slightly starting to slow down now um, <laughs> but he's only 29 I think he'll play as the right wing back and, you know, he's, I think he's at, at Dinamo Zagreb now. And he's, uh, you know, he's, he's kind of featured in on and off since signing in, in January. Um, but it is one of those kind of moves. I, I think that this is really nicely balanced on the two sides. You know, they've got two electric wing backs and, and they have, you know, a couple of players in Pandev and Tchaikovsky who could make a difference. And, and like you say, there's just something about them that feels Feels really hot. And Ennis Bardi in the middle. And look, the thing is with Bardi that, you know, you kind of touched on but didn't completely dive into was is he's a set-piece specialist, right? And in tournaments like these, having someone who can whip in exceptionally dangerous set-pieces, who can score direct from free kicks. I mean, it was only three seasons back that he scored the same amount of free kicks in La Liga as Leo Messi. And this is a man who is incredibly deadly on a dead ball. Um, And having that around and having those kind of weapons in in tournament football, in knockout football... Is very important because things do occasionally get quite, you know, grindy and get a little yeah. bit attritional. And they are the kind of things that can change games for you. We've just sat through a whole week of every England fan, every England fan on Twitter, baying for James Ward-Prowse to be to be included in a 26-man squad specifically for his set pieces. And that is the importance of that particular role. And then his body is right up there with the best of them in terms of takers. So yeah, yeah I just I've just kind of got this feeling about North Macedonia and. It's the, it's the feeling you can only really have when you've got the sort of things in place that we've talked about, but also they have to be a newcomer for this to kind of meld together. It just feels like it could, it could happen. And I am going to back Austria to finish last in this group. I think that's a fair I'm bet. I'm going to go Austria last. I'm going to take North Macedonia in third. They're going to get at least a win and they're going to qualify for the next round as, as one of the best third places. And I'm going to take uh, Ukraine ahead of Netherlands. Ukraine win the group. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Ukraine win the group better than Netherlands for me. I would go exactly the same as you, Sam, there. Um, DJ? So, yeah, I'm going to go Ukraine, Netherlands. All right. Well done, Sam. Good shift. Double shift. Well done. I'm, I'm going to, I'll see you in 20 minutes. <laughs> Fair play and fair value. It's what playing at William Hill is all about. William Hill. It's who you play with. Gamble responsibly. Answer me this. How long have you had that mattress? Because it's looking even lumpier than my lockdown love handles. And while those might be more cuddly, a lumpy mattress is doing nothing for your comfort levels or your sleep. So whatever body you're rocking, put it on a Nectar mattress. Prices start at just $499, and you get $399 in accessories thrown in. That includes a Nectar mattress, mattress protector, cooling pillows, and sheet set, a 365-night home trial, and a forever warranty. Go to Nectarsleep.com and get hugged. It's time for your double shift, DJ. Uh, we're, into, we're into Group D. 
Yeah, this won't take 20 minutes. Um, England, Croatia, Czech Republic and Scotland are in Group D. Um, I'll start with the team that will finish bottom, Scotland. Um, <laughs> I've got to have a dig at Scotland. I'm English. Um, actually, not a bad team, Scotland. They're, they're not that they're not as bad as i expected let's put it that way they did qualify wow. through the you, you, you honestly are so nice they scraped through they did in a penalty shootout in the playoffs so i mean talk about like leave it to the last possible way you could qualify for a tournament which has been extended already as it is um so they really are lucky to be here in that in that respect um but they did you know they drew 2-2 with netherlands um, the other day and they played quite well in that game and were winning until Memphis scored a, a late goal and they do have a few players that you know are genuinely worthy of this stage um, the obvious place is is in the centre midfield you've got Tomanay which everybody will talk about as being their main man and McGinn but also the combination of, of Robertson and Tierney is, I guess is the is the key for this side in many ways because what will happen um, firstly, people will say, hang on, how can you have Tierney and Robertson in the same team? Because they play the same position. And it's not actually true when it, when it comes to Scotland because Tierney, they play with a, a back three and, and wing backs and Tierney plays the left side of the centre backs and, and Robertson plays as the wing back. And what actually happens is that quite often Scotland will get to the final third and, and Robertson will tuck in during the, the build-up play and it will allow Tierney to then make his way down, down the left flank and it's quite confusing. Like it's not easy dealing with both of those guys who've got very similar output and one. And obviously they're not going to do that every single time. So you're like, who's going wide here? Like which man's going to come in and which man's going to get around the back and put this cross in. And it's obviously a great sort potential source of goals for Scotland. I mean, they, they don't have an international quality striker. I mean, that is fair to say. Um, but I think they, I think they can get a point out of the group. I do think they could get a point or, or maybe even a win if they beat the Czechs. That, that's, that's their chance against the Czechs. Um, but that is on also... Paper, on paper, this Scotland side is, is, is not bad at all. You, you look at it, you've got you're Kieran Tierney will play left centre-back. Liam Cooper, Leeds captain, will play centre-centre-back. The right-hand side of it is slightly more up for grabs. I'm not sure if it's going to be Grant Hanley or not. Um, but Stephen O'Donnell, who played left with right wing back, gets up and down relentlessly. You know, he's not the most sexy name on his team sheet, but he is absolutely relentless. And he will run up and down that flank until his legs break. Um, and then that middle three, as you say, of McTominay, John McGinn, and probably Callum McGregor, you know, who, who's a very, very attritional, reliable player. And, and Clark likes him because of that. Robertson will steam down the left-hand side in that tandem that you're talking about. And then it's Jay Adams, who's been pretty sharp for Southampton when he's been fit this season, I, I think. Yeah. Off Lyndon Dykes, who, who is, is less good, I'll, I'll be honest. But, you know, they're, they're, there's a lot here that, you know, then that even leaves Billy Gilmore on the bench. It leaves James Forrest on the bench. It leaves Ryan Fraser on the bench. Stuart, Stuart Armstrong, David Turnbull. These are all decent footballers. Very, very yeah, decent. Let's not name the whole Scotland squad, Jack. They're not that good. Um... <laughs> There's a lot going Especially on here. They're all right, about. mate. They're all right. Especially when Dean reveals who they've got in the group. Yeah, exactly. So, look, as I say, their first game is Czech Republic, and that's good for them because it is their best chance of winning a game. And it might... If you win that first game and you're like, we only need one more point, 
and we're basically through. Got to um, get going well. They could, they, I think they could, they could really sort of hand out some, some annoying games here because they can an be frustrating. Yeah. But look, the Czechs are, they're always in the Euros. Literally, they're always at the Euros, and they, they usually do all right. And this current crop are, are not bad. And I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna try and claim that they are good, but they're all right. Um, I watched it the other day. <laughs> it's so hard to earn Dean Jones's respect, isn't it? It is hard. Me and you love hard. everyone. In international Sam, football, Dean hates it is. everyone. That's the In rule. international football, it is hard to earn my respect, yeah. Um, because it's so hard to... Like, the golf is just big. I don't think there's we're at, in a time anymore when, you know, Greece or Denmark go and win a major tournament. I don't I don't think it's possible. I really don't. Um the gap's too big, but they've got obviously the Czechs have got Shufal, Sushek, Alex Kral, who <laughs> obviously they're trying to sign, and West Ham are also trying to sign. But this this Czech team will be the West Ham team for next season, so it is worth watching them. Um, but ultimately, yeah, they they don't really inspire me, is is fair to say. Um We've got a couple of interesting forwards. Patrick Schick is... He's Patrick Schick is a decent player. Mate, yeah. Matej Vidra had a really good second half of the season. I'm not saying that he's going to set the Euros on fire, but at least he's in fine fettle. And Adam Holozek, the 18-year-old who could break out and we'll probably talk about more on Friday, to be fair. Yeah. Uh, but they've got some interesting players for sure. I look Just to go back to a slightly earlier point, I know Scotland are kind of like going to roll their sleeves up and give out some tough games. I can just see them losing 1-0 to the Czechs from a top oh two God, header at a set piece. In the yeah, you're game. done if that's the case. And that's and that's it, right? Interesting. Yeah. I mean, the Czechs, they did actually beat England. Um, yeah, but that doesn't count. Not too long ago. But they also lost to Bulgaria, Kosovo and twice to Scotland. Yeah. So I mean, look, there's it's it's a strange one, and and yes, you're right. Although I did, you know, my producer on the Europa League show, Tommy. Oh, did you do your Europa League show? Scot, he was a Scot, and he told me he would have been absolutely fine with losing to both the Czech Republic and Croatia as long as they beat England and, and took them out with them screw, dra- kicking and screaming, <laughs> uh, which well, I thought was fun. He can keep dreaming. Yeah, so we'll see. Well, we'll see. But I mean, look, there's 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 Lucas Mash pushed in here as well, and and then perhaps someone Sam that you and I talked about uh, actually back in the when the under 21 euros kicked off Mihal Sadelek who was excellent in the group stages really really good for for the Czech under 21 team he's got his senior he's got his senior call up so is he the guy uh, that was taking all those wicked corners yeah yeah so the number seven now one now the question is does does he get any games I don't know he's on loan from PSV he's obviously a, a talent um, does he get any minutes? Who knows? Who oh, knows? Nice. But um, but if he does, he's someone that that, that genuinely piques my interest. Yeah, the Czech yeah. James Ward Prowse, if you will. Perhaps. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so look, the squad that those two teams are coming third and fourth. I don't know which order, um, obviously, but that that's your third and fourth. And then then so then we move on to Croatia and England, and. I find it hard to split them, to be honest. Um, England are a lot of bookmakers' favourites to win the tournament. That's an English bias. Um, they are not in the same bracket, I don't think, as France or Belgium. So I, would, I wouldn't I would have them as, as favourites for this tournament, especially as going into it, haven't played the 
team that's going to be playing in the tournament. I mean, they've literally still, they're still using players that aren't actually in the squad. <laughs> it's a bizarre turn of events from Southgate, but he's still fielding Jesse Lingard and Ollie Watkins, and even James though Ward not Prowse. for long. And he's got and James Ward-Prowse, who was the best player in the last game. And he's got him on set pieces and we can't use him in the tournament. He's not yeah. even playing, mate. Ben Godfrey played at right back, despite the fact that Southgate's called out 52 right backs into a six twenty-six man squad. It's absolutely bizarre. And I have to say that don't have as much confidence as England as I would like to, because I look at the squad and you should be so excited. I should be licking my lips at the prospect of Sancho and Grealish and Foden playing off as Harry Kane of the central man and Mason Mountain around there as well. Um, and then the obvious players of Sterling and Rashford, but I don't know what he's going to field. I suspect he's not brave enough to leave out Sterling and Rashford. It's going to be Sterling, Kane, Rashford in that first game. Absolutely. And it shouldn't be. No doubt this is whatsoever. the problem. It shouldn't be, but it will be. And because England's first game is against Croatia, I think it will be the undoing of us because Croatia are a good team. And I can I can certainly see a draw. And I'm sad to say I might even be able to see a, a Croatia win in that game um, because they've... Well, we saw what they did in, in the last World Cup when... They beat us in the semi-final. We obviously went 1-0 up thanks to that Kieran Trippier goal of his life. Um, and we were all very excited in, for those first four minutes of the game. And then Croatia reminded us all that there's um, a lot more discipline and <laughs> game management to come. And they had it and England didn't. And I, I just think that emotion just becomes so part of the English psyche in tournaments. And Croatia don't won't have that. And like the game was at Wembley, all the rest of it. Um, I've just seen this before too many times. And I'm, I'm just not going to... I just don't want to build England up, to be honest with you. Um, Good on you, mate. I just don't... I don't also have... I just don't have faith in Southgate. I could think he's a nice bloke. I think that he manages the squad well as individuals. I just would like to see him be braver and I don't think he will be. Maybe he'll prove me wrong. I've just seen a tweet or an Instagram post from someone where England are playing darts against the media. Oh, not all this again. That Remember happens all, time? Every, every time, doesn't it? Isn't that a tradition? Not really. Not like, not like it was at the last World Cup. Not like that. Roy Hodgson wasn't standing there playing darts, was he? Yeah, but they didn't do very well with people. Yeah, but I, so I'm not sure. I know, that's but the, the example I, I like, I didn't mind Southgate using it like last time around, but it became so boring as that tournament wore on. This whole we're all in this together. Um, we yeah, are, maybe, well, I mean, you are. I don't know. That's anyway, Croatia, Croatia are decent. I don't know what you two think of their back four potentially, but Barisic, Vida, Lovren, and Vrasil. This, this is Croatia's first European Championship since 1996 without Dario Serna in the squad. Yeah, that's why I can't pronounce the right back's names. I've never seen him before. Can you try again, please? Vrasilico. 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 Yeah. He, he played, played, he played he against played us in 2018. He plays Atletico. That doesn't mean I can pronounce his name because he played against England in 2018, does it? But he absolutely murdered us. Anyway, ahead of that, when you're looking at like the midfield of Brozovic, Kovacic, Modric, up top the options that they've got with um, Perisic and... Rebic. Um, <laughs> so I'm getting all my itches. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out which ones I haven't said. Rebic, I mean, the clear one. Like I've... I've got already having nightmares about this ending Croatia one England nil and Rebic scores the goal. Like I've, uh, I don't <laughs> like analysing this group, lads, because I don't fancy England's chances. But there is some good to come of this because 
it doesn't matter too much if England don't win the group because the winner of this group plays <laughs> against either basically France or Portugal in the next round. Or possibly Germany. Or possibly Germany if there's a twist, <laughs> which still isn't much better. Whereas if you come second, you'll probably get Spain or Poland. So, yeah, not easy games either. Just not better, easy games either at better all. Better games. But better, yeah. It's so, a funny one, isn't it? It's a, it's a strange thing how things shake out. And I mean, look, England did did do their best in a tournament when they just decided to come second in the group and take the easy route. Yeah, we've got um, previews for this. This did, worked out really however, well in 2018. It did, however, fall apart when they actually hit anyone of any quality. Um, mm. so, so yeah, well, we're getting they, out of the way early this time because we're playing Croatia first, you idiot. Yeah. yeah. Didn't you play Belgium in the groups last time? Yeah, but not first. Okay, all right, fine. Um, oh, look, there's 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 a fair bit here um for, for Croatia and, and like you say, Vasalico and Barisic, very decent fullbacks. Um, and I, I think it's going to be Lovren and, and Vida in the middle. They do have obviously Josko Gradiol, who who made the step up from the under twenty ones, who Sam, you and I are both quite excited about as a defender. Um, but he, he, I don't think he's going to get particularly you know much game time here. So so we kind of play that down for a little while, but. Yeah, the midfields are as exciting as it. Kovacic has stepped into the shoes that, that the kind of Rakitic has, has left since his international retirement. And Modric will and still does pull the strings. Brozovic has been excellent this season, holding down the fort at the, at the bottom of that field and, and has managed to actually basically single-handedly hold down a midfield that also involved like Barella and Sensi going going nuts. So, mm. so he is used to just sort of doing all of the work. I mean, I think where I'm actually really excited about this side is, you know, like you say, you would, you'd imagine it's going to be Perisic and Rebic to start either side of... I'm not sure if they're going to go with Kramaric, Brudemir or Petkovic through the middle. To Seems be to be Kramaric that most people think, but yeah. But actually, the ones, the things that really excite me here are, are Brekolo and, and Orsic coming off the wings. Um, I, I think those two coming into games as the kind of game changers, the game breaker options that, that the Croats have, I think that's where they're really strong. I think the back line is solid. The midfield is excellent. Um, but they do lack a, a real goal threat as a number nine since Mandzukic retired, since he hung up his boots. But from the wings, they are they are absolutely on fire. And those two wing squads, those rotators of of Brekolo and Orsic for Rebic and, and for Rebic and Perisic, that's what you want, isn't it? I love Brekolo. I absolutely really like adore him. that man. And as an impact player in a tournament, I can I can barely think of a player or like for any nation that symbolizes for me what a, a kind of like a 15 minute 20 minute burst impact player should be more than Josip Brekolo who just gets the ball and just things around him just start happening he speeds up play starts taking players on fizzing it about gets into the box he just brings this kind of chaotic energy that if you're if you need a goal in a tournament and you've got 20 minutes left honestly he is the exact mold of player I would look to it does worry me a little bit that we have to play up against them first um, but uh, I think we're smart enough to not win this game and finish second in the group. You know, I just think if Scotland win against if Scotland win against the Czech Republic and England lose their opening game, the tails will be so up for a let's absolutely finish this. Um, and what Scotland England second game? Yeah, I, I yeah. just think there's a moment that you go, oh god, <laughs> like oh god, yeah. yeah, we ain't losing to Scotland. I think we'll draw against Croatia and we'll win yeah. the other two but we will lose out on goal difference to Croatia and we'll finish second. Oh, I'll take that. That'd be nice. It's yeah, actually okay. quite nice. I mean, I've literally, just, I've literally just listed off what I want to happen. Yeah, yeah, I'm completely That's what happy. I want I'm, to happen. I'm completely so that's what fine I've decided to predict. Okay, Dean, what are you predicting? Croatia one, England two. Mm, Scotland three, Czech four. I'll go Czechs third. 
I said they beat Scotland. Go Scotland second, behind Croatia. England get through. <laughs> England get through on a lucky third place. Um, there's, oh, my, uh, there's my prediction. Um, Take that. We still have a better route to the going through to the final. Would you just play France Portugal in the next round? Yeah, we would. Yeah, in the round after. Yeah. Which group are Ireland in, Jack? Uh, they're not in the group, maybe. They Ireland did get to play a friendly match the other day, though, didn't they? Yeah, we actually we, scored a few goals. Yeah, Troy Parrott scored two, and he's taking us to the US 2026, which is actually go. really what I want. We oh, begin man. again. We go yeah. again. Come on, the boys. Right. Sit, sit this one out for the project. Smart. Exactly. Yeah. Group E. It's what, it's, what, it's, look, it's what Italians did last time out, and I, I respect them for it. Look, now we're talking about them as potential favourites, and I imagine we're going to do the same with Ireland in 2026. So um, there we are. Right, DJ, uh, let's get to Group E. Okay, Group E is Spain, Poland, Sweden, and Slovakia. I think at some point we were going to support Slovakia we in this. Still are. What are you tournament. on about? What are you on about? Well, yeah, Hanko I thought we were going to have shirts. I thought we were going to games. I thought there was this whole we're thing. Not, we were we're not going doing. to games full stop. So that's that's yeah, that's fair that enough. Ended. Maybe that soured it. But um, yeah, David Hanko's Barmy Army. Here we are. Um, let's start with Slovakia because um, they probably will finish last of this in this group. Then yeah, I mean the lesson from qualifying. They got one point from games against Croatia and Wales. Um, they are definitely underdogs, but I think they have to prove basically they're not here just to make up numbers. And they've they've got Dubravka in goal, so that's nice. And they've got Marek Rodak as his backup. Nice, because he's Fulham lad. Um, ultimately, though, I look through the squad and I'm just like... Mm. Don't you dare not bring up Milan Skriniar. Yeah, I mean, look, well, yeah, Milan Skriniar, but that is their star man, isn't it? Yeah. Well, that's their star man, and Dave Tenko. So, there's two star men are the left back and the centre back. Um, and I'm looking through like how they qualified. And, I would admit to you, Dean, they beat Ireland on penalties, like that. that's how much they struggled. Yeah, exactly. And Ireland are rubbish. Then they beat Northern Ireland in the uh, they beat both they beat Northern the Ireland 2 1 in the playoff in yeah. the, at the end. Yeah, um, goals look like a problem. Goals look like a huge problem. Yeah, th- this is it. I mean, look, Bozinic has, has come in there. Bozinic, I should say, uh, has come in Mark there. Mark Bozinic. Robert Bozinic has come in there and he is 21 years old, playing for Feyenoord. He's got four in 16. That's not a terrible strike rate at international level, if I'm being perfectly honest. Um, what worries me is the age of this side, if I'm being perfectly, you know, absolutely straight with you. It's Hamzic is obviously still the captain, 33 years old. Uri Kuka. 34 years old, Vladimir Weiss, 31 years old, Robert Mack, 30 years old, Andre Duda's 26. He's the spring chicken of his pack. Um, Stanislav Lobotka in there as well. It's not a terrible midfield in terms of names. You know, there are there are players in there that have, have been on the European stage, who have shone on the European stage in, in some cases. Um, I just have a worrying feeling that they're they're all quite well past their prime. Yeah. Or mm. in the case of someone like Lobotka, just hasn't played that much football. Mm. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. like moved to Napoli and just has kind of been a bit of a sideline player for them. Yeah. And their opening game is against Poland. So like that'll be reasonably interesting because people don't really know what we're going to get from Poland. On paper, it's the strongest side they've had in a long time. But look, all of this basically comes down to Lewandowski. Like, can he produce? Lewandowski, when it comes to tournaments... Hasn't got a good record in in eleven games in tournament football. He's only got two goals so far. Um, it's not great. Um, I remember because... being so disappointed with him at Euro twenty twelve when he had his Pisek, Bashakovsky, uh, Lewandowski, Dortmund trio down the right. I thought he's going to bag for fun. They're hosts. This is it. 
Mm. So quiet. He's always disappointed on this stage. Yeah, it, it's strange because obviously, uh, you know, wherever he is, you know, he's their all-time leading goal scorer in Poland. He's Bundesliga top scorer. Um, all the accolades he's had. And yet it comes to moments like this. And he's obviously expected to carry the team, even though they have got a decent a decent array of names within the side. Um you know, this this team are strong enough to go through. There's no doubt about that. And in attack, they've also got Milik, who should be worthy of, of weighing in with a couple of goals himself throughout a tournament. Obviously, it depends how far they get. But you look through the spine. Zielinski, got... mate. Zielinski's like, you know... Zielinski, well, exactly. So I was just going to go through. I was going to say Szczesny in goal. And then you've got Glick. You know, there's experience there as a centre-back. And then in midfield, you've got Krakowiak, Zielinski, Click, and like it's not bad. Mm. It's not bad at all. So I'm a big Carol Linetti guy. Always <laughs> have been. Of course you are. I <laughs> yeah, just I, I, I think he's been excellent. I like him for Tirino. I think he's done a good job. The interesting yeah. thing, I guess, is the coach is now Paolo Sosa, um, which a lot of people in Poland aren't particularly happy about. They they want they feel there was enough Polish coaches that they could have had one of their own. But um so you know, he's only, he's only come in recently as well, so he'd have only only presided over a few games by the time they actually play their first match against Slovakia. Um, he's obviously got quite a bit of experience, but not much with this Polish team. Um, so we don't really know exactly what we're going to get from him, but there has been some good signs. It obviously is just coming down to, to Lewandowski, and I guess the big question is, what's the competition going to be like from Sweden? Well, I, I think it's, it's, it's worth, just before we kind of move on, it's, it'd be a huge disappointment for Poland if they don't get out of this group. Yeah, well, I think they will. Yeah, 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 I know. But I, I think the point being that, like, if they don't, if, if Poland fails to perform, if Lewandowski fails to step up on this stage again, I think that's a huge disappointment, like, from, from a lot of people. I think this is quite clearly the second best squad in the, in the group. Yeah. Right, this is you, you look at, it and you, obviously you mentioned Glick, but like he's going to be partnered by by Bednarek, who yes has his faults, but but like at the at the end of the day, as a Premier League level defender, there, there's kind of ability throughout this, and that that's it. That midfield, I think that midfield four of of, of Linetti, Kikoviak, Click, and Zielinski has a lot of talent in it. This is a side that should be looking to get six points and very comfortably jump out of this group in second place. They should be, yeah. And I think I should have more confidence in them than I've got. Just, But it's just based on, well, a lot of it's based on the World Cup performance, to be honest with you, because they were rubbish. But yeah, let's see what we get from from Sweden. And I guess in particular, Isak and Kulzewski, because that's the key, basically. If, if these two can, can come up with a big performance each, then... They're going to take Poland's spot. It's it's basically a battle between these two to accompany Spain. You would imagine anyway, through to the next round of the tournament. Um, again, like Sweden aren't anything to write home about. <laughs> They're not particularly exciting, but they have got experience, and they a lot of them have been together for a long time now. And they've also got that mix. I mean, you've got your Forsbergs there, Lindelofs there, um, but it's just Augustinsson. I love. You know, you could, I think you fill them for every transfer window yeah, since time began. I know, and I've always wanted them to join as well. So, I think that you can have some confidence in Sweden, um, but obviously, if this was a year ago, then Ibra would have been fit. I think fit last summer. Yeah, yeah. I think he was, he was fit. Fine. He was fine. So it's not helping. Like Ibra was came out of retirement for this, basically, didn't he? He, yeah, I mean, he's retired about eight times, but. 
he um that was the big hope it was like oh it's ebra like and if you did have that as well then well, i think you'd be really worrying if you were poland but as it is yeah i, th- I think personally it's it's down to that kulazewski and, and isak combination as um can they get the goals that well i guess particularly get results against slovakia and poland yeah, I mean, look, Robin Kaisen's a good player, and, and I like him. I like we spoke Kaisen, about yeah. him in that kind of talk bit where we were talking about minds and and them kicking on. That you know, Victor Klaassen has never really made that jump out of Russia, um, but he he's definitely a talent, and I think there's definitely talent there. I really like Albin Ekdal. Um, I think he's done a lovely job at Sampdoria, and he will just pop up, and he will be fine there, and that's going to be fine. Sebi Larsson's probably a little bit. <laughs> 36 years old now. You'd imagine that Sebi Larson's not going to have too much to say. But... He's always there. No, I saw him on the bench the other day, smiling away. Like you say, Victor Lindelof, Philip Hollander, who's had a really good season for, for Rangers, Pontus Janssen. That's, you know, there's a, there's enough here that you can, you can make a case that they can, they can hold yeah. people out. And, and I think that it's a nice little battle. I, I, you know, like I said in the last bit, I think Poland will be very upset if they lose out on second place. But I think the Sweden side has enough to worry them. Yeah, sure. Mm. I, I try a little a little storyline here is that uh, Victor Lindelof, Philip Helander, and Ludwig Augustinsson, so the two centre backs and the left back, all played together when they the won. Swedes won yeah. the under twenty one Euros mm. back in two thousand and fifteen. So, just a little bit of um, just a little bit of enhanced communication and familiarity there, which always goes a long way. Uh, and if you're ever wondering why the Swedes look. Quite well organised, actually. Oh, quite defensively sound, which they often are, uh, possibly at the detriment to other things in the past, but usually pretty solid. They do a good job of keeping these players together. That's three out of four under 21 euro winners six years ago. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Right then, Spain, Dean, the obvious winners in this group. Yeah, Spain are the obvious winners of this group. I mean, we say obvious. It should be obvious. It just depends who's going to be providing the goals. Um, that's why it's not as obvious as you would think it would be. Um, Morata and Moreno, one of them will start in the middle. Um, I imagine Ferran Torres one side of him, Danny Elmo the other side of him. Um, and your supporting cast in behind that um, is nice, to be honest. You've got, you've got Thiago, you've got Koke, you've got Busquets. Um, Busquets has got covid yeah, it does. It, it remains to be seen whether Sergio Busquets is actually going to be part of this Spain squad. He's, if Lucho has to call up someone to replace Sergio Busquets, please, by all means, make it a right back or a right centre back and just sort this bizarrely balanced squad out. <laughs> um, yeah, so look, it's worth pointing out that they didn't bother picking 26 players. Um, Luis Enrique was like, just pick 24 because... The other two aren't going to be playing. Like the chances are only 18 or 19 are going to play as it is. So I feel like 24 is enough. Fair enough. That that actually sounds like not a bad idea to me. You're only supposed to have 23 anyway. Yeah, um, but now but can't, now, if, now if, if people do have... No, I know. Yeah. And that's the problem, isn't it? If a couple of people do get COVID, <laughs> if, you, if you have an outbreak in your team now, then not ideal. But um, Spain are actually playing Lithuania to, tonight or t- tomorrow night. And um, they're just going to have to play their under 21s. Like all their under twenty ones are playing in the game because everyone else is in COVID isolation. Yeah, and it's like they're really all they're weird. all getting fast track uh, jabs as well. They're all getting the vaccine like early. But also, oh, really? like this counts as a full friendly. So all of these people who play for Spain, this is their first cap, and they're all like ten. <laughs> so yeah. that's fun. 
That's fun. <laughs> Great yeah. preparation for a tournament. Yeah. Obviously, it's a blow that Ansu Fati is not there because they would have really done with his pace. I think that's one thing that I would say is really lacking from this lineup because you'll see all the patient play that's basically in their DNA. But this isn't Spain 2008 anymore. Like they're still still trying to play in that same style, but this isn't this isn't that team. And I guess that's half their problem is the expectation on them to play a certain way and deliver. And it's tough to do that. It's tough to do that because you know. I love Morata personally, but like I don't know that you could be relying on him like on this stage. Morata is either brilliant or terrible. And the part of the reason he's becoming more terrible is because there's now VAR, so he, and he plays on the shoulder of people, and that, you can't really do that anymore because you get called out on it. Um, so that's that goes against him. And Gerard Moreno, as good a season as he's had, Gerard um, Moreno should start for Spain in the number nine slot. Well, he might, but it still doesn't mean that he's going to deliver what he's been delivering all season. But at least he might have the confidence. He will. He will do goals. Yeah. This I trust him. I trust. But him. yeah. So there, I think. Yeah. So I think Spain win the group. Um, I am going to give Poland the edge and say that they come second. Uh, Sweden third and Slovakia fourth. Sam. Nah, Sweden are going to finish second. I've, I've way, way more faith in Sweden than, than than Dino does. Uh, I'll go Spain, Sweden. Um, Slovakia last. Uh, yeah, I am sad to put Slovakia last, but I, I also did think that they are the weakest side in this group, and that aging core is not going to do brilliantly. Um, I'm I'm worried about Spain winning this group. That's my uh, that's my take. I, I really am. I'm, I'm concerned that the midfield's beautiful. The back four terrifies me. I don't know what on earth they're doing here. I don't know if they're going to play Eric Garcia. I, I don't know if they're going to play two left-footed centre backs in, in Pau Torres and, and Neymar Laporte. I don't know if they're going to try and play Azpilicueta as a right centre-back. I don't know if they're going to try and play Marcus Llorente as a right-back. I'm, I'm, I'm really concerned by what on earth Spain are doing at the back. And their ability to win this group, I think, is in question. At least yeah. we've got one bit of clarification, which was that uh, Jordi Alba is the captain. Yeah, so Jordi so, Alba is going to play at left-back, uh, which we were concerned about, but we're, we're not uh, anymore. Yeah. Um, well, unless <laughs> unless he just leaves his captain on the bench, which to Probably. be fair wouldn't be the weirdest thing that the Lucio oh. has done this month. And uh, <laughs> and with that, I think it's probably time for us to move to yep. group the last group, F. group F, the the Best sexy group, the sexy group of this tournament: France, Germany, Portugal, Hungary. Um, and there's a lot going on here. There's a lot, um, a lot to be excited about. I'm going to start with well, champions France. Funny enough, um. Very exciting. It's a squad. A lot of this squad, you know, won World Cup. So you've got to look at it and think it's nicely balanced. They still have that pivot of Pogba and Kante. Matuidi's gone and replacing him, I think, is going to be a slight issue. I think it's going to be Corentin Tolisso who slots into that gap. The big news, obviously, is that Benzema's back. Um, and Benzema playing as the nine in this team is a little bit different to Olivier Giroud playing as the nine in this team. And that's worth pointing out um, because it does beg the question of are they going to be ready as a three Griezmann Mbappe Benzema are they going to be meshed are they going to be balanced and Sam you know something that you and I have discussed before is that we're a little bit concerned that Benzema dropping off and into that kind of 10 space actually clogs up Griezmann's ability to to run the game um now they've looked okay in the in in the, in the matches so far in the, in the warm-up games and not no one's been particularly particularly worried um but there is that kind of overwhelming concern. Are they going to get in each other's way a little bit? So, so that's the only question I think really hanging over France. The back five, pretty much the same. Um, Umtiti has been replaced by Kimpembe for from the World Cup squad, but it's Varane, 
Lucas Hernandez, Benjamin Pavard, and Kim Pembe in front of Hugo Lloris. They know each other incredibly well. They've, they've played together for a long time. Kante and Pogba. Tolisso will tuck in and allow Pogba to sort of wander a little bit more. Mbappe will start on the left. Benzema, theoretically, through the middle and, and Griezmann, theoretically, on the right. But it, they will be given license to roam. I think the only question is, and I don't think it will happen, is does Didier Deschamps go handbrake off? Now, he's never done it before, so I'm not 100% sure why he would now. <laughs> but, but he could play Pogba and Kante as a pivot. Griezmann as the 10. And Mbappe and maybe like an Usman Dembele either side of Benzema, which would be, well, one, it would be terrifying for other yeah. people, you know. And then the options there, you know, it's not just Dembele, it's Tom Lamar, it's Kingsley Coman, Ben mm. Yedder, there, and, and Marcus Turam, who remi- remains the kind of wild card in there. Um, but yeah, there's, it, it's just, you look at France, and I think the overwhelming feeling you, you have is, how do you stop them? And, 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 and then you, you said something the other day that was of the, along the lines of if France don't win this tournament, they've either majorly cocked up or someone has produced the performance of their lifetime in order to beat them. Yeah, you've got to because they are every bit as good on the pitch as they look on paper. And there aren't many teams that can say that. Um, and Deschamps knows how to get the best out of them. I actually put in the um, Patreon newsletter the other day I, I, on the watch section, I I just said to watch this video of the France national team just around a match day. And it just showed it wasn't like scintillating stuff, but what it was, it just showed how calm everybody is, the vibe of the place, um, the way Deschamps talks to people, the way the players just go about their business, how professional they are. Um, And I think that is what sums it up. They've got a coolness and a belief other teams in this tournament don't have, on top of the fact that they've got a spine of their team that is Lloris Varane, Kimpembe, Kante, Hogba, <laughs> Mbappe, Benzema, Griezmann. I mean, it's not even the spine of a team. That's seven players, but that is a spine of their team. <laughs> like that's those They're playing. They are all going to play, and they are all at the top of the, you know, they're top, top individuals. And and I've left out players there saying they're not the spy of the team just because they play on the, the sides, but they're every bit as good as them in their positions. So wherever you look, even if there's an injury, they've got somebody who will step straight in for them. They've got strength in depth. They've got pedigree. They've got superstars. They've got winning mentality. They're the reigning World Cup holders. They've got everything. They've got literally everything. And I find it very hard to believe they don't win the world, don't win the Euros. Look, they have, there's nine players in this France team that are locked to start. That's yeah. nuts. Like nine locks in a, in a, in a starting. Who 11. are the two that aren't? I would say who starts up front between Benzema and Giroud. Benzema. Given that Giroud yeah, but given that Giroud was. I agree what you're saying, scorer, but I think he'll start Benzema now he's brought him back. And, is he a lock for you though, Dean? Yeah, now he is, yeah. Right. And Ten then, locks, Jack. Ten. Taliso <laughs> or Rabio, or if they go to that four-two-three-one. Yeah, that's so, fair enough. Yeah. So I think that's the that's the other the only question. Yeah. But that's I mean, even in that in itself. Even that, it's not like a terrible situation to be in, is it? Yeah, exactly. I mean, they played Germany in the first game, right? So we'll go to Germany next. And this is a weird side. Um, I'm not I'm I'm not sure what's going on. They, they they've played a little bit five at the back. Um, it wasn't great. I didn't enjoy it very much. Um, I don't think. I think you'd imagine that they're going to go four three three. Although a four two three one could bring Thomas Muller back into the question. I'm just on paper. This Germany side looks really good, right? On on paper, front three, a fluid front three of Nabri, Werner, Sane is is a very good front three. On paper, a midfield of Kroos, Goretzka, and Kimmich is a very good midfield. I'm a little bit less, con- you know, 
sold on the defence of Halstenberg, Rudiger, Sula and Klosterman. But they're, they're more than capable footballers. This isn't like we're, we're putting in complete randoms here. Um, and, and Neuer in goal is... It, well, it's Neuer. Um, well, they might play Kimmich at right back, right? I don't think they're going to play Kimmich at right back. I think they're going to play Kimmich as a six. I mean, really? taking, there's been quite there's been like increasing talk of it happening. There's he he has been given the six shirt number in the squads. I, I think mm, he you know he's, helps. he's been so brilliant there for for Bayern that I I just don't they just don't him. need him there, do they? They need they need him at right back. Well, I mean, I don't mind Klosterman to be perfectly honest with you, and I don't actually. It's not you know, the fullbacks are a bit weird because you could play you could play five at the back, and I think they were trying to look at that in terms of getting Robin Gersons into this team because it gives them a different option. Um, but I'm just not sold. They were playing Emery Chan as the third centre-back. Robin Cock has had a bit of an odd season up and down at Leeds. You, I mean, it, it just none of it fills me with huge amounts of confidence. You know, Mats Hummels could come back in there, but you know, do, do, do you want this if you're, if you're Germany? Who are you dropping? Who drops out of the side? And then there's huge questions about how you get Kai Havertz into this team. Like, does Gundogan play in front of Goretzka? Uh, it just feels like very up in the air as to who's going to play. In this Germany side, and oh. and and com- in complete contrast to France, I have no idea how they're going to start the tournament. And the fact that they have France in that first game, if they get battered, if they get absolutely lumped by France in that first game, they could be in real trouble again. Like they could easily, that could easily happen as well. And also, the the other fixture is Portugal versus Hungary. So Portugal and France could be well out in front after one game. And you're, you're suddenly like, right, that's exactly how you expect this group to play out. I'm just, look, you never write out, you never write off the Germans, right? You never do. Never in tournament football. You never write off the Germans. It's Jergi Lerv's last tournament. There will be that kind of element of him trying to sign out on a high, especially after the mess that was the Russian World Cup. Um, but no Royce, to Stegen injured, no Brandt, no Draxler. Not necessarily that any of these are huge omissions, but this German side doesn't scare me as much on paper as, as ha- you know, sides have in the past. I don't know how they work. I think Werner's better off the left. We've talked about this all season. In which case, you who do you drop, Nabry or Sane? Or do you play them as this kind of rotating three? Does Kevin Volland come in? Does Kai Havertz play as the nine? Like, there's just loads of questions to answer. And I just have no faith that Jürgen Löw has the answers now or will do in a week's time. That's why I think you can write them off, to be honest. Like, I, in name, you can't write Germany off. But, like, when you actually look at it, no good in quality. They weren't very good in qualification. They weren't very good in the Nations League. They lost at home to North Macedonia. Hey. They, hey. If North Macedonia hey. is some side, to be fair. We've talked about yeah. Brett. <laughs> um, and I understand, like, they have this tournament mentality, and traditionally they do, but not in recent times they don't. And I, I just find it... There's nothing there. There is. There's a mid. There's a midfield three of Kroos, Goretzka, and Kimmich, and you you can't like. No, I don't think you can deny how good that is. This, this you, is up there with an absolute top of the pile in these midfields. The, the, okay. the quality in this squad is such that it is. It's you can't rule it out simply because if by some miracle it clicks and he finds a formula that he's works, playing for Poland. <laughs> <laughs> Six and wild. Yeah, it did. If by some miracle, then this is a formidable team. Yeah. And, that's and if there's a miracle, the same, same applies to Scotland. Now Scotland like... are some side. Not that. That's not, there's no, no worries I, I about shouldn't be too thinking. hard because this is going to bite me. But um, it's hard to see. Yeah, it's, it's hard, hard to, to see, see it working. I do agree with that. And, and I know you're going to talk about Portugal next. It comes and... on to Portugal, right? Because this feels more settled. It's not as settled as France. And weirdly, they have a goalkeeper dilemma in some ways. It's, you know, whether Patricio or Anthony Lopes is going to play um, is a bit of an odd one. But I think it will be Patricio at this point. 
Um, they have a left back. Weird dilemma. how they refuse to consider their best goalkeeper. That is true, Sam. I do agree with you, but it's not not the time or the place um, for a silver chat. Um, you look at you look at Gadeo and, and Nuno Mens at left back, and that's a genuine competition spot. Um, I think we, we we're talking about Fernando Sanchez here, so he is almost certainly going to go for the the experience, and I think Gadeo will start. It's going to be one of Jose Font or Pep to partner Ruben Dias and, and Joao Cancelo will play right back. You'd imagine one of Danilo Pereira or William Carvalho will, will kind of sit as the CDM. They'll drop between the centre-backs, allow those full-backs to kick on and get into it. Joao Moutinho is almost certainly going to be the eight and, and Bruno Fernandes will be the 10. And then it looks like it's going to be Joao Felix, Cristiano Ronaldo and, and Bernardo Silva. Um, but there's options here. Diogo Jota could start instead of Felix. There's obviously those dilemmas between Danilo and, and, and William. Um and there's just a couple of things where it all feels a bit more up in the air. Now, whether that's a good or a bad thing, you can argue, right? If you're ha- if you're able to rotate your squad and there not be huge amounts of drop-off in terms of quality, that's a good thing. And we haven't even talked about the fact that Andre Silva, who's had a wonderful season for Frankfurt, can come off the bench. He's can go to 4-4-2 and he has shifted between them, Fernando Sanchez. And, he, you know, there is that element of could they put Jao Felix into the middle to play off Ronaldo and, and, and then use Diego Jota as the left winger? Perhaps. Um, Renato Sanchez had a wonderful season at Lille. Ruben Neves is linked with Arsenal. Oliveira had a brilliant season at Porto. There's there's a lot of talent here. A lot of talent. And I like this side a lot. I'm just not 100% sure they know exactly what they're going to go into that first game starting like. And, and that worries me a wee bit from a Portuguese perspective. Yeah. I'll figure it out. They're pretty good. Yeah. They are very good, and I expect them to come second in this group. Um, yeah. It's the individuals, isn't it? Like probably it's... on goal difference, because I can see them holding France. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're incredibly yeah. well drilled. And and look, this yeah. is something that like they feel like the antidote to a lot of sides. You know, we talked about sides that love to go attacking. And, and look, even if Southgate takes the break off Ringler, this Portugal side feel like their exact antidote. They'll just suck mm. them in and kill them on the counter. Um, and. And I think there will be an element of that with France as well, where, where Portugal will be like, we actually quite like this. We're okay with this. They have long range weapons in the, in the, in the kind of shape of, of Fernandes, of Cristiano, um, even, even like Palhinha off the bench and, and Gonçalves. You know, these are all players who can, who can make a difference. And I think that this Portugal side have the potential to be in the final. That's where I'm at with it. I, I think I can see a Portugal-France final in this. That would be my my opening gambit on on, on what the what the final will look like. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, look, they they finished first, they finished second. They split into different halves of the knockout uh, bracket. Um, so if they come top two, they'll go into they'll be placed either side, and then they have to work their way through to meet again in the final. And it's probably the most likely scenario of all the things we've talked about. In all honesty. Yeah, I think that's true. Just a minute on Hungary because they uh, they're the last side in this group, and it feels very it feels brutal that not only have they been drawn into the group of death, but also they've lost their kind of midfield talisman who got them here in Dominic Sobzlai, who obviously scored the goals that sent them to the finals. Um, I, it's hard to look past them as the whipping boys here, now, and that's not really any disrespect towards this Hungary side. They will play three five two. I think it will be Willie Orban in front of uh, of Galashi at the back, which is a very decent start to a to a side. But you know, you're you're talking about Adam Lang or, or Attila Salai on on either side of them. There's not huge amounts there. There's Adam Naji on in front of them and. The top two are going to probably be Roland Salai, who's exciting, and Adam Salai, who's less exciting. Um, but it, it does feel like there's just not enough depth or quality in this Hungary side to really make a difference in such a difficult group. I think, actually, if this side had been drawn 
in the groups, you know, prior to this that we've discussed, we'd be talking about them as someone who could probably compete for their place. They're not a, they're not a write-off. They're not whipping boys, but I think they are going to be here, I'm afraid, um, especially without Sobersai's ability to strike from range in the middle. Just tough luck. Tough, it's tough really luck. bad luck. Really bad luck. Um, I mean, look at their qualification. They came fourth in Group E. They played eight, won four, lost four, conceded 11, scored eight. They beat Bulgaria and Iceland in the playoffs. And in their World Cup group, they've played three, one, two, draw and one, but they have been against Bulgaria and Lithuania. So that's it's tough to look at this and think, mm, are they going to make a real difference uh, at this point? Is there an edge they've got in home games? I don't think enough. You know, they're the only games that are going to be full, aren't they? Um, if I'm I, not mistaken. I believe the so. The tournament that actually are, are completely full. But um, yes, slightly, but I don't think enough to make up for the golf in quality between the three other sides in this group and Hungary. I, the only, I, I, I'd suggest that the only, the big hope that Hungary will have is that if France batter Germany and then Portugal beat Germany and they go into that last group game being like, it's done anyway, what happens? Can they cause a shock? Maybe, but it, it, I think it's, it's beyond them, if I'm honest. Beyond them, if I'm honest. Well, nice you've, worked, you've worked very hard there to get yeah, Hungary nice a point. Try. Yeah. You're I'm Hungarian or something. Artist. Look, I just, I just big Zoltan Gira kind of boy, you know? Like, <laughs> uh, and there's the under-21s manager now. We'll get the, we'll get the senior job yeah. one day. So sure. go on, big Zoltan. Right, lads, quickly before we go, I want to just get a couple of things from you. I want your winning prediction. I want your final prediction. I want your golden boot prediction and a dark horse prediction from both of you. Uh, so, Sam, start golden boot, please. I like Lukaku, the form he's in, and the fixtures he's got to start things off and Belgium's ability to go deep. So I'll go big Rom. Dean? I've said Lukaku in about eight other places this week, so I have to say Lukaku as well, but that's a bit boring, isn't it? Yeah, can you pick someone else? Um, Mbappe. Mbappe. All right, I, yeah. I, I'm actually going to go with a different Frenchman. I'm going to go Griezmann. Griezmann's my outside yeah. bet for this. Well, Griezmann takes, takes pens. pens. Takes yeah. pens. <laughs> okay. And he was the last golden boot winner in this competition. So Yeah. Uh, let's I've only got Mbappe because I fancy that France go all the way to the final and that means he's got seven games to do something. Well, that's easy then. We'll start with your final prediction then, DJ. France-Portugal is my final prediction. Yeah, the, they meet in Group F and I think they'll meet again in the final. Okay, Sam? Yeah, I think the same. Uh, although I get the feeling that while Dean may pick France to win the tie, I am going to take Portugal to win the tournament. Instead. You think Portugal oh. are winning this tournament? Mm. All right. Wow. DJ, you're going to pick France, I assume? Yeah, I, I definitely am, yeah. I, I'm going to be the outside bet, as usual. Um, I fancy Italy all the way. All the way along this tournament. I, I've liked them in qualification. Uh, I like what they're doing. I, I think Italy win this tournament. I, I just have a, a feeling deep in my soul. Um, that, that, that this is the year that the Italians get back on track. Um, and Dark Horse, please, Sam. So I narrowed it down to like three candidates and one of them, believe it or not, was even going to be Sweden. But then I was just checking my phone as you were talking. Kuliseski is tested positive for COVID and Sweden's camp have gone into testing and isolation. Oh my goodness. Which, which means that Sweden's opening game against Spain in like five days. They were always going to lose that one. <laughs> No, but they're both. In doubt. They've both got. Yeah, they've both only got eight players. The under twenty ones are playing. <laughs> What's oh, going to happen? So anyway, wow. we'll remove them from the conversation. Well, that's one of Sweden's only good two players. So that's uh, look, I, I think I really like the look of Ukraine, and I'm going to take them as my dark horse. I never really think that. I never pick a dark horse that I think would actually like win the tournament, because that never happens. Mm. But like Ukraine are my pick. Dean, um, I think as a dark horse, I'm going to go for Turkey. Yeah. Um, because defensively they should be very good. And I think they've got enough attacking force to, 
to pick up a few results that surprise people. So I'm not. I don't think Turkey will win it, like Sam says. But if you're looking for a team that unexpectedly get to the late stages, I, I think there's a chance. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, look, I would have picked one of those two, but I do have money on Turkey getting to the semis, so that's uh, yeah. that's wow. my that's my bet. That's, that's my bold. outside bet. Um, I think pick Turkey North Macedonia the then. North Macedonia, you coward! Um, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. North Macedonia getting out of the group would be a dark horse. So to be fair, it's not it's not the worst shout you've made today. Um, and this pod has been incredibly long, so I'm going to call it a day there, boys. And um, thank you so much for your insights as usual. And thank you, Rank Squad, if you've got to an hour forty into this podcast. There's a huge amount of respect and uh, an effort, but we hope we've given you some greater detail on exactly how. We think this is going to play out on on what you need to know before it all kicks off. Um, And thank you, as ever, for your support. We're going to be back throughout the tournament, both here and on Patreon, um, where we're going to still be doing three podcasts a week. If you want more throughout the tournament, you can always find us over there. The link is in the description. Uh, But all that's left for me to do is say thank you very much to Sam Tai. Cheers, mate. Thank you very much to Dean Jones. Cheers, mate. Happy tournament. Me, Jack Collins. This has been Rags FC. Thank you for listening. Enjoy the Euros, everyone. We will see you next week. Take it easy. Peace. Fair play and fair value. It's what playing at William Hill is all about. William Hill. It's who you play with. Gamble responsibly. 